When wishes were horses and beggars could ride, in a stone castle by the sea there lived a rich land. How am I supposed to choose? There are so many. And so he left the trail, and he followed the sound of the music. I am the goat from the hills and the mountains. And when I have finished eating these herbs and these vegetables, then I shall eat you, too. Once upon a time, and welcome to the Story Story podcast. It's me again, Simon Brooks, standing in to guest host for Rachel Ann Harding. And yes, I have some stories for you. This is a podcast where you will hear traditional stories told by some of the best storytellers in the world. It will take you to long ago and far away and bring you back safely. Talking of safely, I do want to mention that the two stories in today's show have mildly violent, non-graphic descriptions of death. If you are responsible for tender ears, you might want to listen to the episode before sharing it with others. Just the other day I was, yes, you guessed it, in the woods with Mo. Hashtag walking in the woods with Mo. It was cold and the snow was still thick on the ground from the storm. It was early, very early. The sun was still below the horizon, but the sky was changing colour. Oranges and a light red danced on the clouds in the lightning blue. The moon was still clearly visible in the sky. I had been working hard and I got a bunch of stuff done. My eyes were a little sore from the computer screen, my voice a little tired from practising for the storytelling gigs. Because I was more than caught up, I decided to make a long walk out of the morning and explore some of the trails we had not been on before. Pointer this way, a pointer that way, led me and Mo through freshly fallen snow. It was us and the birds. We were twisting and turning all over the place. I love being in the snow before anyone else. There is really something magical about it. We came to a stream and crossed it. I could see the painted blazes on the other side. The stream at this point was narrow, and the fallen tree made an excellent bridge. Mo seemed to dance over it, but it took a little bit of balancing for me. We had been hiking for about an hour and a half when we came to a spot where trees had fallen. At first I thought it was the heavy snow which had felled the trees, but then I saw the ginormous footprints. The first of today's stories is told by the amazing Alton Chung. Alton has been telling tales forever. He is never without a smile and is one of the most gracious people I have met and a master storyteller. Characters, voices, humour and great stories. He has it all. Alton is Japanese-American with Korean roots and hails from Hawaii. And this tale is about Pele, the goddess of the volcano. Imagine sledding over grass on 12 feet long boards. This story does include a village and a few folks being burnt to bits. But the telling is fabulous. Here is Alton's story of the Halua sled race. You know, in Hawaii, we get saying, you got to treat all women with respect, because you never know which one might be Pele. Pele, the goddess of the volcano, the goddess of fire. You know, she wasn't one of these uh, minor deities, the whole pantheon of Hawaiian gods and goddesses, but she's the one who's taken the most interest in human affairs and is still seen in islands today. Pele, she gets so much mana, so much power. She can transform herself into a beautiful wahine, a sweet young girl. 
Oh, she can transform herself into a wrinkled up old crone. Oh, she can transform herself into a pillar of fire. <laughs> One day, Pele was wandering around the big island of Hawaii. Oh, Pele, she loved the aina. She loved the land. And she loved the people on the island too, yeah? She walked in by this one valley. She heard this yelling and all this cheering. She looked inside the valley. Oh, it's a holua sled race. You know, the kind holua sled, this kind of Hawaiian sleds, yeah? Made for run on grass. These sleds get like made of these two polished wooden runners, kind of curved up in the front. And get all these cross pieces holding them together. Like about four inches, the runners stay like four inches wide in the front and then be six inches wide in the back. And you get this middle piece, the piece of copper cloth, where you and get a couple handles. And what you do with this halua sled, you run to the crest of one grassy hill. You grab the halua sled, you hold them to your chest, and you go down head first, inches above the ground, and slide down. You know, these halua sleds, they stay like, you know, 7, 12, 18 feet long sometimes, these halua sleds. But this was... This halua sled race was for to figure out who was the, the bestest of the bestest, the champion of all halua sled racing in all of the islands. Oh, halua sledding is like Pele's favorite sport. So she go hele on, she go all the way to Kilauea, to her home, and she get her own halua sled. By the time she come back, it's the championship run. Who go figure out who the bestest are the bestest, down to these two chiefs from Kauai, two ali'i, one named Ka'avale, one named Ahua. Both these guys stay young. Both these guys stay strong. Both these guys get testosterone poisoning. Now, there's two champ chiefs up there. They're sitting there on top of the hill looking down at the course. And finally, they realize, hey, suddenly between them is this beautiful wahine, this beautiful young girl with her own halua sled. Now, Ahua, you look at this girl say, hui, hui, hey, little girl, little girl. Better step aside, little girl. Bombay, you gonna get hurt. Bombay. That's Hawaiian slang for later on. Bombay, you gonna get hurt. Ka'avale. Oh, he's so arrogant. He go, ha! Aole pelekia. No trouble. We're gonna leave him in the dust anyway. Then Ahua, look at this beautiful girl. Go, oh, this girl, she's there beautiful. Oh, wait, wait, hey, little girl, little girl. Hey, if I win, little girl, you gonna give me one kiss. Mwah. But the girl, huh, she don't pay attention. She's just looking at the course, figure out what she got to go do. And the referee step up. Say, you guys ready? Okay. Ikai. Ilua. Ekolu. And the chiefs, they run to the crest of the hill. They grab the Lewis legs. They hold them to the chest. They go sliding down the hill. Head first. First, going down the hill. Neck and neck. There's a hua. There's Kaavali. They're flying down. Neck and neck. All of right between them. Choo. What was that? I don't know. They get down to the finish line, and there's the wahine, the beautiful wahine on her own halua sled, looking at them, smiling, fixing her hair. She's been waiting for them, guys. How come they took so long? Ho! Kaavali, he get all hoo-hoo. He all angry. Go, eh! That was beginner's luck. I like one rematch. The girl, she look at him, go, shoot. Shoot. That's Hawaiian slang for okie-dokie. Now, Ohua, he looking at her, say, hey, something funny with this girl. I tell you what, you guys go... I go and watch what she does. So Ahua, standing there, he go watch the course. Kaavali, he go storming up the hill. Ho, he, oh, hoo, hoo, everybody get out of his way, which was a good thing. Because he get up to the top of the hill. He grab on Puhaku. 
one rock, and he wrap them in copper cloth and he stuff them in his sled. Because he know the heavier the sled in the front part, the faster you go go. So he's standing there. All oh, pretty soon, here come the referee, here come the wahine. Referee look at the girls. Guys, ready? Ikahi. Ilua. Ekolu. And the wahine and Kawale, they run to the crest of the hill. Kawale grab his holo sled. Horn blue says, he go flying down the hill. He flying so fast. He never goes so fast before in all his life. Ho, he's going, his hair stay all standing up. His eyes stay tearing. His eyes stay all big. His lips going. Ho, he never goes so fast in all his life. No matter what the girl can do, she not can catch up. By the time they get down to the finish line, everybody stay yelling, everybody stay cheering, everybody stay pointing. And Kawali, he's so arrogant. He go, oh, yeah, I know, I good, <laughs> I good, yeah, I know. And then he see his friend Uhua. Uhua standing there. Ho, oh, his mouth stay wide open, his eyes stay big, he stay pointing up the hill. Kawali look at him and say, what you doing, bro, catching flies? And he turn around and he look up the hill. And what he see, make his hair turn white. Because coming down the hill is this huge tidal wave, this huge tsunami of molten rock, of lava. And riding down this huge tidal wave of molten rock, using the holua sled like on surfboard, is the wahine. But she not the beautiful wahine anymore. No, her body stay on fire. Her hair, her eyes stay like red hot coals. Her hair stay burning with smoke. And she looking at them saying, <laughs> Come here, boys. Kawali take one look at that. Go, wow, it's Pele. Oh, we got to go to the beach. We get in the water. We're going to be safe from her. We got to go. We got to run now. So he grabbed the hua. The two chiefs go running down the trail toward the beach. In the meantime, Pele is riding this huge wave of lava coming down. That wave of lava is coming down, touching the trees. The trees bursting in the fire, touching the, the houses. The houses burst in the fire. And the people are yelling. The people are screaming. The rocks exploding. And all around, get that smell of sulfur. And the ground, they trembling. And all of a sudden, this wall of lava coming, wash over the people. And that's it. Pow, finish. Make, dead. And all the while, Pele is looking at the two chiefs running away saying, <laughs> Come here, boys. Oh, Kaavali and, and Ahua, they're running as fast as they possibly can. They get into the beach. Ahua, he step in that soft sand. Ho, he trip, he fall. Boom, face plant. He try to get up. Too late. Pele's right there. She grab him and say, Hey, boy, you let me give you one kiss? I give you one kiss right now. She wrap her arms around him. The lava calm covering of them. Ho, Ahua, Kaavali, see that? He go, Wah! He goes running to the beach. He jump. His hands is stretching out. His fingertips just touching the water. That's when Pele grab him by his ankle, pull him back on the shore. Said, hey, boy, you like win so much, you got to go cheat. Huh? I tell you what, I give you a victory hug right now. And Pele wrap her arms around him in the love of calm. That's why you go down south side of the big island of Hawaii, get these two big black stones sitting there right on the beach. They call them the Pu'u o Pele, the hills of Pele. They call one Ka'avale, they call the other one Ahua. And that's why I tell this story to all you old men out there and all you young men out there. You gotta treat all women with respect because you never know which one might be a goddess. Have you ever felt like the underdog, or should I say underwolf? 
There's no need to fear for yourself in Wonderland, the Enchanted Forest, or far, far away anymore. Granny Hood's Martial Arts Dojo will teach anyone willing to learn the basics of self-defense through to defending yourself from a big old wolf coming down your chimney. Need to be able to spot a poisoned apple or use a golden hair comb to keep the wolves at bay? Learn how to use everyday items like flamingos and hedgehogs for self-preservation against wayward witches. Learn the best way to spray pixie dust to incapacitate the largest ogre. Granny Hood's dojo will teach you everything, and I mean everything you will ever need to know. Granny Wolf's dojo is offering a 10% discount on the first six weeks when booked if you mention this podcast and the discount code 9053. Once, so many years ago, there was an archivist called Casey Astalter. Casey was tenacious about collecting stories. Hour after hour, they painstakingly recorded tales told by elders, travellers, bards and poets onto vellum with ink created from plants. These stories were later decorated by the monks of Ireland for all to treasure. For the work Casey did, a reward was handed to him. A great bow, a word whispered, and the world made a slightly better place. Thank you, Casey Stulter, for supporting Story Story Podcast on Patreon and keeping it running. Thank you. Mo and I looked around. The footprints were huge. I crouched down and spread my arms, and that's when I heard a crash and a deep groan. I looked at the footprint in the snow, which was as long as my two arms stretching out, and then at the trees which had not fallen, but had been pushed out of the way. Trolls? Mo whimpered, and her tail shot straight between her legs. Let's go. We turned and ran back, following the small footprints we had left, leaping over rocks, trying not to slip where the ice was covered by snow, or fall over fallen branches. As the huge steps of the creature followed us, snow fell, shaken from the branches. The ground trembled. I could hear snorts and more crashes as whatever it was followed us. As we ran, I reached inside a side pocket of my backpack and pulled out the last of my chocolate unwrapping it as quickly as I could and putting the paper and foil into my jacket pocket I tossed the chocolate between the trees as far as I was able half a bar almost and the good kind too not the stuff from Pennsylvania Mo and I sprinted on sometimes Mo would stop to make sure I was right there almost causing me to trip but we made it out through the trees into the car what had taken us an hour and a half to walk took us 30 minutes to run I guess I stopped to take more photos than I thought. The crashing had stopped and another moan echoed through the trees not too far behind us. We got in the car as quickly as we were able, fumbling and dropping the keys. Once in the car, I drove us quickly away, both of us looking behind, Mo through the back window, me in the mirrors. It was then that I saw the creature's head popping out of the trees. It was a troll, huge, made up of bits of wood, moss, rocks, mud and branches... The nose, about five feet long, swept towards us as its eyes searched us out. On spotting the car, the creature's arm rose above the trees. It was pinching the chocolate and waving. I could have sworn the troll's cavernous mouth was smiling. Next time we take that trail, 
I will take more chocolate than I could possibly need. Have you heard of Sheila Arnold? You haven't? Sheila's brilliant. She is wise, funny, creative, loving. Sheila tells great tales, from the serious historical tales of America's dark past to funny stories, which will have you holding your sides to stop them from splitting. If there is a tale with animals in it, there is usually Sheila's favourite creature in there somewhere, the hippopotamus. And this story is no exception. Please enjoy Sheila Arnold's adaptation of the Uncle Remus story of the deluge. In the early days, the animals were able to talk just like people. Each group of animals had their own government, but as time went by, more and more it was noted that the different governments needed to work together. The deer weren't getting along so well with the wolves, the rabbits were tearing up everybody's gardens, and the lion kept telling folks he was the king of everyone. So one year, the animals decided to put together a convention to discuss their differences. All the animals, great and small, met together. Well, the meeting started off all right. Lion was voted in as king, and once that was done, he just sat and watched everyone else do the discussing. A few resolutions were decided upon, such as fish were open game to everyone since they chose not to attend the on-land convention. Also, hippos and water buffaloes, since they lost their bid to be king, were to drink first at the waterholes. Oh, and the deer were encouraged to have lots more chilling to beat out the wolves sometimes. But then came time for fussing and fighting. And after a while, no one seemed to get their way. When that started happening, the animals started doing some speechifying. First, it was the bear, speaking about the caves needing to have no more than three occupants. Then it was the beaver, telling folks to stop knocking down his family's dams. Lots of good work went into those, and so on and so on. And as every animal spoke, the convention got more and more heated. When the elephant stood to give a speech, he was rather fired up. He was talking and talking and talking. And as the sweat poured off him in a lather, he raised his foot to prove a point. And when it came down, well, it landed on top of a crawfish. And when the foot went back up, it looked like that crawfish had never been there in the first place. The crawfish delegation who was there, when they saw that one of their own had been obliterated in a moment of passion, they came together and began to write a resolution and proclamation. Once they put all the proper wherefores and thou shalts in there, the lead crawfish crawled onto a stone and spoke. We the crawfish are resolved, wherefore the death of our duly elected delegate has been observed. And on he spoke. But his speaking was so light that none of the larger animals even took notice. Soon, the lead crawfish delegate, realizing he wasn't being heard, shouted, We shall be heard! We shall be heard! But he was just whistling old Dan Tucker in the wind. Elephant hadn't heard a word or seen any of the crawfish's dismay and had been still speechifying and growing more and more fiery. To make another point, Elephant raised his other foot, and when it came down, splat! Two more crawfishes and the tail of a spring lizard were no longer able to be seen. Now, the crawfish delegation was hopping mad. They came together, along with some other little things, a lizard, a garden snake, beetle, mud turtle, and the like, and they wrote another proclamation. The leader of the crawfish delegation again rose to the stone and spoke, Wherefore? 
the cause of the smallest are neglected and... But again, his voice didn't rise above the voices of the larger animals who had started to debate Elephant. The leader screamed with all of his heart, We shall be heard! We shall be heard! Instead of being heard, the paw of the cheetah came right down on him and he was no more. Now the crawfish knew that they could not stay, but they knew they would make their voice heard. So the crawfish and some of the other little animals began to bore into the ground. They bore circles quietly into the ground, deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper until they reached the groundwaters. And then they moved aside as those groundwaters shot up through those holes they had created up to the surface. The first stream of water shot up right under Elephant, and he was lifted into the airs with his four legs dangling, and he stopped talking. As the next streams of water shot up, the larger animals tried to run, but they were caught in the water that quickly flooded and deluged the whole earth, making it difficult for some animals to live, and they were so busy treading water for the next fortnight or so, they forgot all about speechifying. Well, after the water dried up and went on its way, the animals had another convention. And this time, all the animals, great and small, were listened to. And Elephant, (laughs) well, he didn't say nothing at all. Thank you for listening to the Story Story podcast. Show the love. Find both Alton Chung and Sheila Arnold on that futuristic web thing and tell them you heard them here on Story Story Podcast and you now, now you want to hear them tell more tales. You can find Rachel Ann Harding and the podcast on Facebook and Instagram at Story Story Podcast or rachelannharding.com. Me, you can find me out there too at simonbrooksstoryteller.com. And yes, I'm on Instagram, Simon M. Brooks. There's no E in Brooks. The beautiful brains behind the fairy tale sponsor idea belong to Lynette Ford, another great storyteller. The inspiration for the true fairy tale came from this morning's sunrise. It was gorgeous. Check out the ads for the fairy tale sponsors and the tellers and let Rachel know the favorite story you have heard recently and who told it, or the favorite stories of your childhood. Maybe you'll hear them here soon. I hope you didn't mind me standing in again for the gracious Rachel Ann Harding. She's been busy learning how to fly her dragons. I got a message from her that she was meeting up with Baba Yaga in Russia. I hope she knows what she's getting herself into. If you would like to become a supporter for the podcast for as little as $4 a month, you can find links on storystorypodcast.com. If you do contribute, you will hear me and or Rachel Ann read your name and thank your beautiful face for the world to hear. If it isn't in the cards to support the podcast right now, no worries. Perhaps you would be willing to write a review on iTunes, which helps other story lovers find and enjoy this podcast. Rachel Ann would love that. Anyway, head over to the website, join the mailing list for hidden goodies, and when you next tune in, there will be more stories for you. Until then, live happily ever after. Mary Kate opened up the door, and there on the doorstep wrapped in his own blanket and to this day Anansi spins webs so that he can catch the 
flea, the fly, and the moth that got away. If you go down to the lake on a clear day, when the water lies as calm as a sheet of glass, you can still see the rooftops of the castle glittering in the sunlight. And if you listen really closely, you can even hear the festive music from the royal court. 